Lord Jesus, you are the light of the world. Come and dispel the darkness of our lives and release us from its prison. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I hesitate to, to name names because some of you are in the congregation this morning, but there's this, what I would call a phenomenon happening in Birmingham, and it's uh, under the guise of working out, but I think it's just plain weird. It's called Dancing in the Dark, and uh, what it is is that you have this large workout space, and they turn all the lights out so it's pitch black except for this little glow-in-the-dark ring, and then for an hour nonstop, they play dance music. And you just dance like a wild person. And then at the end of it, you've worked out, I guess. Uh, and uh, I'm convinced that it's probably some study underwritten by Emory uh, University. Uh, and that, in fact, you probably are being videotaped. Uh, because you can only imagine uh, what kind of dancing is happening uh, in the dark. Uh, and it's uh, no wonder that it's become wildly popular. Uh, because you actually are able to dance as if no one is watching, with complete abandon. You can dance however you want. Now, I do chuckle because I've got a feeling when YMCA comes on, all of a sudden there's complete conformity. <laughs> but the thing about the dark is that it allows us to do things that we wouldn't do in the light. Of course, there's nothing wrong with dancing, but the darkness allows us to abandon our self-consciousness because we think that it is a judgment-free zone. Now, this can manifest itself in more insidious ways than dancing in the dark, like why we have motion detection lighting on the outside of our homes. Criminals and ne'er-do-wells, they operate in the dark. I've never read a criminal novel that said that they turned down a well-lit alley. This all takes place in the dark because, like the dancers, those types of people think that their activity is hidden. No one else can see. But Jesus tells us in John chapter 3, nothing could be farther from the truth. Jesus can see in the dark. There's nowhere that you and I can go to hide from Jesus, Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open and all desires known and from whom no secrets are hid. You can't get away from him. Enter our character Nicodemus, who comes to Jesus by night in the dark. And then ensues one of the most important conversations to ever take place on the face of the earth. Because here, Jesus lays out plainly what it means to be in relationship with God. Now, Nicodemus is a spiritual man, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. And after seeing Jesus cleanse the temple, he thinks, I can get on board with that. This is my kind of guy. So he wants to know more about Jesus, and so visits him. Now, the way the Bible was written, uh, there was actually no punctuation, no numbers to separate chapters and verses. And so sometimes the way that the Bible has been outlined for us by the editors doesn't give us the full context of what is going on. So the context of chapter 3 is set up by the final verses of chapter 
2. This is verse 24 and 5. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night. See, Nicodemus's outer life was one that you would want to emulate. He's, he's the model believer, we think. But Jesus doesn't need anyone to tell him about the nature of humankind. He sees it for himself with his own eyes. He looks upon our hearts. He sees our inner life, that life that lives in the shadows that we try so hard to cover up and guard. And then Jesus begins to say some difficult things that make no sense to Nicodemus. He says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus doesn't know what to make of it. He's confused. He's bewildered. And I used to think, poor Nicodemus. How could he know? But I don't think that anymore. Because Jesus even says here in chapter 3 that Nicodemus should have known better. Picking up at verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one is ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus should have known better because as teacher of Israel, he should have been in the word of God who points to Jesus. And even as Jesus is saying, yes, these are spiritual things, but he gives Nicodemus a Bible lesson. He says, remember Numbers 21. When the Israelites were in the wilderness and they were beginning to complain, and so God sent fiery serpents into the camp. I'd like to think of it as the first organized daycare. And as the fiery serpents come into the camp, they begin to bite people. So God says to Moses, take a pole and fashion upon it a bronze serpent and raise it up. And whoever looks to the bronze serpent will be healed. So Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, remember that bronze serpent? Serpent, that's a sign. That's a type that is pointing to me who will be raised up one day. If Nicodemus had been faithful to the word of God, he would have known who Jesus was instead of coming and instead of coming to him under the cover of darkness, he would have sped to him with out any regard for reputation and made his way as fast as he could to the Lord, regardless of the hour of the day, in the same way the Israelites looked to the serpent raised on the staff for their salvation. Now we begin to see just how ridiculous this conversation is. Who wouldn't say yes 
to the gracious offer of salvation. If you were told as an Israelite, if you want to be healed of these snake bites, the thing to do is to look to the serpent. How many of us would shield our eyes and the eyes of our children? Don't look at it. No, you would do everything in your power to make sure that you could catch a glimpse of it and that your children would have it held right before their eyes in order that they might be saved. If you are told that the only way to save your life is to look to the bronze serpent, which was temporal, how much more should we look to Jesus for our eternal life? Who would shield their eyes to such a great salvation? Jesus tells us. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. It is because there are those who love the darkness and hate the light. Now, if you really hate the light, you're probably not even going to be here this morning. But here we have Nicodemus, Sunday school teacher material, an exemplar of his congregation, a religious authority amongst his people, and yet completely in the dark when it comes to Jesus. Now you may say, Andrew, I, I don't hate the light. I'm just afraid of it. You're afraid of the light. Why? Fear that you'll be exposed for who you are. Afraid that your life is a lie and it's simply a projection and you don't want anyone to know the real you. Fear that your deeds will be exposed from your past or even your present. Fear that you will be rejected by others. And ultimately, you just think it's better that no one knows who you really are, certainly not God. But we see here, we, we can't deal with Jesus in the dark. Effort is not applauded. There are no degrees of lostness. It's kind of like being with child. I talked to a parishioner in my last parish once. I was told that she was uh, pregnant. And so I went up to her and said, oh, congratulations, I hear you're pregnant. And she said, kind of. Well, you either are or you're not. She just meant she was early on, but you're not kind of saved. You're not kind of lost. You are either saved or you are lost. But here's the thing. God meets us in the dark and brings us into the light. Those burdens... Those false identities are now exposed. But rather than bringing judgment, we find freedom and deliverance. That is why he says that he came not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. For the light has shined in the darkness, and it hasn't caused the Lord Jesus to look away. But he looks into the darkness with no regard for its properties and sees you as you are and doesn't wince. Later on, I'm not going to read the passage, but 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, 
John continues on with his theme of, of light and darkness. And what he says is those who have come into the light actually know who they are. Being in the light means understanding your own darkness. And so it is when God shines his light through Jesus in our own lives. We hear that those who dwell in the darkness hate the light. They want nothing to do with it. And yet, like John, there are those of us who dwell in the light and there still exists in us desire to live in the darkness, not in whole, but in part. All of us have areas of our lives that we hope God can't see. Past deeds, habitual sins, the desires of our hearts, those things what we would not want exposed by the light. But we know better. It's not as if Jesus can only see in the light, that we are safe in the shadows, but we find that we are in peril when we are in the dark. Well, last Wednesday, or Thursday rather, I was standing in the back there during the Lenten preaching series, and the bottom of that window to my right, in the dead center, I noticed uh, a verse that I had never seen before. It reads this way, Except ye be converted and become as children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, there's a lot that could be said about what does it mean to be a child in order to get into the kingdom of heaven. But one thing that I'd never thought about is that to be made like a child, maybe our prayer should be that God would make us like children, afraid of the dark. That that's actually a good thing. To be afraid of the dark, to know what lurks there, and to know that that's not where we want to be, and for the light to shine so that there is no darkness. And yet, what do we do with those areas of our lives, even when they come into the light, when Satan and the world hold them over our head, when they whisper in our ear uh, that we are guilty and that we deserve to be unloved, and when we're burdened and we wake up in the middle of the night, or even in the stillness of your thoughts, those memories that come back to you as if they happened yesterday, that you long to purge from your mind. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life's no longer hidden by darkness. You're now hiding in the Lord Jesus, and no one can find you out. That is, that when God, our Heavenly Father, looks upon you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ by his blood that has been given to you, as 1 John would tell us, that you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And the stains and the traces of who you once were no longer are. That's why the Bible is very clear about saying you need a new birth. If you are in Jesus, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. You are different. You're no longer a child dwelling in the darkness, but you're now a child of light. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. The great Anglican hymn writer Charles Wesley, we're going to sing this hymn at the end of our service, but this verse from And Can It Be. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night, Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. 
My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. You know, it's not until God shows up that you realize that you're in the dark. But when God's eye diffuses that quickening ray, when he shines his light on you and brings you to new life, a new birth, a new creation, you see the shackles and they fall off and your bound heart is now free and the dungeon floods with light and you now see the thing for what it is and you get up and you walk out a free man, a free woman, no longer imprisoned. Friends, are you trying to deal with Jesus in the dark? Have you gotten used to living on the margins? Do you say, well, I'm afraid God doesn't want me. Well, he hasn't spoken to me in the way that he spoke to Nicodemus. What word does he have for me? I was reminded recently, if you want to hear the voice of God, read the Bible out loud. And so what is God saying to you here and now? Not simply to Nicodemus, but you. Hear God's voice. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Your shackles have been loosened. The dungeon is aflame with the light of the Lord Jesus. Rise and be free and walk in the light. Amen.